Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for Virginia Tech and ACC Sports. I'm Justin Cochola alongside Tim Hurth. It's Thursday, October 8th. We have a very exciting week five in the ACC to get to, but first we recap the Hokies who just continue to survive despite major roster upheaval, as well as some of the other games in the ACC. We've got the Hokies North Carolina preview. That's a big one. Uh, we've got what to watch for in week five in the ACC. We're doing some lines, but first off, Tim, what's going on? I'm excited, man. We had a great weekend, uh, you know, this past week in the ACC. Saw some stuff maybe we didn't expect out of some teams. Uh, this week is lining up to be really good. But what's at the forefront of my mind right now is a video I just saw on Twitter. Did you recently look at my Twitter timeline? I have not. Okay, so I'll set the stage for You're, you. Are you talking about the Fleetwood Mac TikTok viral I'm skateboarding thing? not. However, the original, I'll go ahead and, and rant there. The original video, um, you know, by Dogface69 or whatever out there in Idaho, um, great video. I mean, the, the the thing about that video that was so great is the spontaneity of it and the sheer freedom that he exuded on that skateboard while knocking back that cranberry raz uh, juice that I'm sure he was drinking to cleanse his system. Uh, maybe had a, a drug test coming up at work. That was one of the greatest videos I've ever seen. Huge fan. All this jumping on viral crap that's going on, it Justin, it needs to stop. It's, it's ruining a good thing. I saw... Yeah. A governor, I think in Montana today, doing his rendition of it, sticking his head through the moonroof of his car and terribly lip syncing uh, the song by Fleetwood Mac. And I, I did not like that. Well, it's just one of those things, right? You can't just let it be what it is. Yeah, everybody's got to put their their spin on it. They they have to, you know, get some clout off of somebody else's success. So I'm not surprised uh, by the reaction. You know, I was I was watching some kind of like national news tonight, I guess. Um, it was just on the TV, and then I, I saw that video, and I guess uh, Ocean Spray sent him like a new pickup truck with the bed of it full of cranberry juice good i mean the guy deserves any sort of monetization he can get at this point why not i mean he i I, I don't know what the stat was but he boosted the downloads of fleetwood mac music an insane yeah it was in the top 10 yeah it was in the top 10 of itunes yeah i mean so if itunes still exists yeah maybe he needs a cut of those you know i'm not talking about tons of of money there but you know maybe give him a little a little bonus for that bump so what are what are you talking about are you talking about this cow video oh i am talking about the cow video justin (laughs) so for those of you who have not seen the video out there in podcast land listening to us on your drive to work thursday morning i'll set the stage it appears to be on the step in argentina and a couple of gauchos cowboys sitting around a pen, and one of the cowboys is lined up in front of a cow. The pen is opened, and the cow hits him with the meanest bull rush I've ever seen. I mean, we're talking Aaron Donald times 10, probably quite literally. And the gaucho stands him up. I mean, hits him square in the chest, chops his feet, elite footwork. I mean, if you're a, if you're a combine guy and you're breaking down this film, you have no idea whether that's a gaucho or if that's Makai Becton. I mean, it's flawless, flawless technique. Stands the cow up, right? I mean, I mean, the cow is just hoofing him in the back, smacking him, drops him. 
incredible. Got a pancake at the end. That was one of the coolest videos I've ever seen. And I have no idea why that's not as viral as Dogface's Fleetwood Mac video. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean... I mean, are you not impressed by it? You seem nonplussed by that, which is concerning to me. Yeah, I I don't know. Uh, You know, I I did live in Texas for a while. I've been to some rodeos kind of firsthand, so I've kind of seen it. What is that? That's a normal Texas rodeo thing to catch a bull rush from a cow and stick him in the chest? Dudes playing with bulls. I mean, I just hope the guy who was, you know, pretending he was the left tackle was wearing some protection because he definitely took some damage to the frontal side of his body. Um, That's, but hey, good for him. They got him down. Yeah, they I, I they got the bull down, and now they thing, can proceed but... to... I mean, I don't know. Are they going to brand it? Or, I, I don't know. You're the cowboy. You tell me, Mr. Texas. But I'm just saying, man, if they're doing yeah, they're that at Texas rodeos, I'm I'm very impressed. I'll I'll tweet it out on Chowder, and uh, you, you guys can go watch it. Um, we'll probably get a follow from PETA and then a follow-up message about, you know, animal abuse because I'm, I'm sure they they don't like this video but yeah i don't know I, I mean i've long thought tim maybe we should kind of get into this tiktok realm and you know obviously original content but i bet you and i could come up with something that's pretty viral worthy oh does that mean i can't get on a hoverboard and play fleetwood mac and drink cranberry juice and try to ride coattails no, no, because we're we're all about the OC. We're the we're the OCs, the original content guys. Oh. so that's that's what we're gonna do. Nah, I have always said I'm an I'm an OC, original content something. Yeah, oh, an OCG, original content guy. There you, there you go. I'm an OCG. I've always said that. Yeah, yeah. So you know, my weekend was interesting. I had a, a new family member added. So uh, you know, girl dad times two. So that's been. Welcome to exciting. The yeah, you know it's um, we've got quite the the string of of girls in our kind of uh, Tim and I are involved in a group chat from college and uh, what are we seven for seven seven for seven all girls yep seven for seven yeah it's crazy it's quite a run that we're on so yeah um yeah you know sleep is uh you know uh, a beautiful memory at this point. Yeah, you know, um, like I was telling you, know, you before sure the call, it's, you, you go into this, and, and not not only you, everybody tells you, like, oh, you've got this. The second kid's the easiest. Maybe true. Yeah. Maybe true. But that first week, <laughs> good luck telling me that. That was tough. Well, the first week is tough because you, <clears throat> you've forgotten everything. Yep, yep. Um, what do you mean And swaddle? then you've also got another kid, and, you know, she's acting out. Oh, yeah. Know? Whether it be potty training, listening, the the listening is what's really gone down the drain for uh, for girl number one. So mm-hmm. you know it's been uh, it's been exciting. Um, we'll get through it. You know we're just kind of holding on for the ride. We'll see where it goes. Um, but yeah, you know, glad to have girl number two in the world. And hey, you know when uh, when my first daughter was born, Virginia Tech was in the midst of like a really really ugly stretch in 2017. So. They came out on top this past weekend against Duke, and I'm excited for for this week's game against North Carolina. So, Tim, why don't we why don't we jump into the recap? Here? Let's do it. Virginia Tech 38, Duke 31. I just want to start by saying this is probably the most impressed I've been with the Virginia Tech football team through 
if we want to say two weeks of the season, through two games, top to bottom, in recent history. That's fair. You can throw out the hard hat mentality. It's all about surviving and advancing in Blacksburg right now. You know, you had 23 out against NC State. You had 21 out against Duke. And not just 21 guys out. You were missing three-fifths of your starting secondary, your top four cornerbacks, and two coaches. One which called plays last week against NC State and also happened to be the secondary coach, and then your defensive coordinator. And they still won. It wasn't the dominant performance that we were hoping, but I don't think it could have been. You know, I mean, what this team did to win this football game, they they made do with what they had and, and they played their game. I mean, you know, we've seen some really uh, solid performances and, you know, this offense got off to a really slow start. But, you know, this this team, they now lead the nation in sacks and rushing. Their quote-unquote starting quarterback hasn't even played a snap. Their new defensive coordinator hasn't been on the sideline. They've had three different guys calling plays on defense. Last week it was a joint effort between Tracy Clays and Jack Tyler. And they're still winning. It's impressive. So if I had told you, Tim, VT would have 21 players out, three-fifths of their secondary, including a positional coach and their defensive coordinator, a fumbled punt return that went for a touchdown, and they lost a turnover battle 3-1, to one, but they won the game, what would you say? Absolutely no way. There's no way that happened. Well, that's what happened. Yeah. And there's also this guy named Khalil Herbert. <laughs> I just I keep watching this guy. This dude came to us from Kansas? <laughs> yeah. yeah. This guy isn't, like, he's, he's one of the best running backs I've ever seen with my eyes. Yeah. Like, the, the speed and the burst and the vision. I mean, this guy does it all. He does. He set the Virginia Tech record for all-purpose yards, shattered it, 358 all-purpose yards. Hokie's previous record. After Mike Emo did it in 2004, went back to 87. Blew it out of the water. First time since 2015, a rusher has gone for over 100 yards in back-to-back games. Trayvon McMillan did it three times that year. Can he do it again this week? He's the best back we've had since David Wilson. And he reminds me a lot of David Wilson because he does a lot of different things. He's involved in the passing game. He's involved in the kick return game. Most rushing yards in a two-game span since David Wilson in 2011, who had 323, Herbert's got 312. I don't know what else to say, Tim, but I'm just super impressed across the board, and I was was getting a little nervous in the game uh, because our offense was kind of stalling a bit, but then it became the Khalil Herbert show, and we were off and running. Yeah. I mean, off and running is is an understatement, (laughs) quite literally off and running, Um you know, the thing that, that kind of blew me away is going into this game, we were extremely confident when we recorded our podcast last week, then rumbling started around Thursday about maybe the secondary being hard hit, some pretty big attrition due to COVID and contract tracing yet again, contract tracing, contact tracing, um, rolls around to the game. Then we realize, you know, we have some problems as far as depth goes, not only on the field, as you mentioned, um, you know, being down cornerback, secondary being hard hit, but yeah, um, you know. No more Ryan Smith, no more Justin Hamilton. 
uh, Clay's and Tyler splitting, defensive call playing duty. Then you start to get a little nervous as you get into the game. Um, you know, but the moment never seemed too big for anybody. Obviously, it's Duke. It's not a massive uh, team. Uh, you know, they'd struggle to start the year. But you're telling me all these issues and all this adversity. Um, I would have been surprised even going in uh, to hear that we were able to pull that out yet. This is what we've been building towards, right? This is why you give coaches time. This is why you exercise patience. Um, this is why recruiting is so important. I mean, this is probably the deepest team, not just in Fuente's era. Towards the end of the Beamer era, we had real big problems with depth on the squad, um, whether that be from, you know, there's, there's two pieces to depth, right? There's talent identification, and then there's attrition, if you make the if make the right offers coming out of high school, you identify the right guys for the right fit for the right spots in your program. That's one part of it. The other part of it is keeping these guys in the program. We've had our struggles somewhat with the latter of the two. There, um, I, I don't think our attrition is what people make it out to be. I think it's fairly standard given the new kind of realm of college football. However, I will say clearly, uh, the staff is good at identifying talent because you get guys stepping up um, that, that you just, you were like, Oh yeah, I forgot. We, we had this guy on the roster. He hasn't made a peep until now. And look, he's filling in on last seconds notice and playing extremely well against an ACC team in Duke. And, you know, shout out to the guys that weren't recruited. <laughs> the walk on Tyler Matheny uh, had a huge game, a pick, a sack. Um, and I think seeing the sideline after that interception, and how happy they were for him just reinforces what I love about the program that Fuente is building and where we're headed. But yeah, as you said, a long diatribe there to just point out, absolutely. Um, man, we we exploded. We ran all over Duke. And it was just one of those things where you sit back and you're so happy at the end of it because there was so much anxiety in the beginning that now sitting here looking back, yeah, we can start to point out some things. Uh, that we're seeing that make you really happy, even with a team that's been down uh, 44 players over the course of two weeks. And, and we're sitting here gushing about what we see on the field, and, and that can only bode well for the future. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned the depth. I don't, I don't even know if it's depth in the secondary. I think it was we found these guys, they have to play. I mean... Dorian Strong, I always want to call him Dorian Borch. I don't know if you have that issue. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. But this guy had an offer from Delaware State and Virginia Tech last year. Off the radar guy. Yeah. And gets thrown into the fire last week and played pretty well. You know, he had one play where he was beat. Tyler Matheny, walk on. You know, like the, these guys aren't supposed to be playing. This no. year, they're probably not supposed to be playing next year. No, but they're playing. In Matheny's case, I don't know if level. he's supposed to play ever. Well, you know, he he did play sparingly. You know, in you know special teams, right? Last special year, teams roles, yeah, sure. As a starting safety, yeah. No, you know, this is not a guy who we were probably ever expecting to see the field, and here he is, and he's making plays. And I mean, I think you just have to point towards coaching. Yeah, you know, if if you go. I, I just don't know what else to point it towards because, yeah, these guys aren't highly touted, or touted, and you know they're extremely raw and they're young, and you know to be in that situation, it's a conference game. Duke isn't, you know, a team that's scaring a lot of people right now. We get that, but Duke is still an ACC team. 
They've still got ACC caliber players on their roster, and they were a team that was pretty much full strength on offense, as were Virginia Tech, but defensively is where they had all the issues with the COVID and the contact tracing. Sure. So I just I just can't get over the the performance. I mean to to rattle off some Khalil Herbert stats because I'm I'm going to you know he's currently the nation's leading rusher. He's averaging 156 yards per game. That's 12 yards per carry average. Somehow second in the country. Army's <laughs> Terrell Robinson is at 12.65. He's really getting it done. Leads the country. Go ahead. I said he was just really getting it done. I mean, to, to be able to top that yards per carry is impressive to me. Yeah. And Army is traditionally like a triple option offense. That's right. Herbert leads the country in all-purpose yards per game, 276. The Knicks' closest guy is Travis Etienne in the ACC at 153. Wow. Herbert is number one nationally in yards from scrimmage at 179 per game. Nearly 20 yards better than the next guy. He's got six rushes of 20 or more yards, four of 30 or more yards. In all of 2017, 13 games, every Hokie rusher combined for seven rushes of 20 or more yards and three that went for more than 30. That's, that's just insane. I mean, I just don't know what else to say. I mean, this guy, he he just continues to dominate. And, you know, he only had six carries against NC State, went for 104 yards. He didn't have a ton of carries in the first half. And then the second half is when he really started kind of getting the rock and he finished with 20 carries over 200 yards. And then he had the two kickoff returns, one that almost went for a touchdown and another one that, you know, put him across midfield. So 151-ish yards and kick return yards, I mean, Certainly, they're going to keep giving this guy the ball. What I will say about the running backs is Raheem Blackshear looked like he's starting to get his legs under him. He does. So, you know, this is a guy who was probably the most hyped back coming into the season. Um, Just from a pure athleticism standpoint, what can he do for the offense? And after his first game, it's said that he actually went up to Fuente and apologized because it was, according to Raheem, the worst game he's ever played. Wow. Um, you know, and he had eight carries, 28 yards and a touchdown. So nothing like astounding, but like, I don't think he'd look at that and be like, wow, what a horrific game. Right. Um, and he really looked like he's starting to come on. What I will say about this offense, offensive line play has been great. You know, if, if you're a pro football focused guy, uh, Virginia Tech, uh, has the fourth best offensive line in the country. Also happens to be the third best in the ACC. Notre Dame is number one, Clemson two. And, uh, Virginia Tech a close third. Louisville is actually fourth on the list. But I don't think we've seen what all this offense can do. No. And so what I'll what I'll say about the quarterback play this week with Braxton Burmeister is if you look at the numbers, they weren't great. There were a lot of the uh, down-the-field throws. And what I will say is you're going up against the defense in Duke where their front seven is the best part of that football team. You know, they have two really good pass rushers. They've got some good linebacker play. They were somewhat weak in the secondary. And what you saw was the inability to get the ball underneath across the middle of the field. They pretty much took that away. And Virginia Tech was throwing the ball down the field. It it reminded me, Tim, a lot of a Bailey Hockman 2019 offense to where 
Braxton was just chucking the ball downfield, 50-50 throws, and, you know, weren't really getting much out of it. Um, and it was frustrating at times. There were certainly some plays left on the field. It, it doesn't, you know, leave a negative taste in my mouth for, for Burmeister. I think he can still be a really good quarterback uh, for this offense. I just didn't, you know, particularly think he's he's going to help us win games by throwing the ball down the field a whole lot. He doesn't seem to have very good arm strength. Um, there was one play to Trey Turner in particular where if he had just let him, it probably would have been six. Um, and instead, Turner had to come back to the ball, and it was broken up and incomplete. You know, Tavion Robinson dropped a pass yeah. uh, really early yeah, in the game, which, which could have been a big play. So, you know, th- there were some certainly some plays left out there on the field. The interception that Burmeister had, I assume that slipped out of his hand. That's really the only yeah. explanation for, for that throw. Um, but running the ball, he really got going there in the second half. So what I will say is there's nothing world-breaking about this offense right now other than Khalil Herbert, um, as far as the passing game is concerned. And so I felt like if you're going to try and throw the ball down the field and take advantage of a team's secondary, Burmeister's probably not your guy. It's probably going to be Hinton Hooker. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, it, you know, it was good to see that. We got an idea of where Braxton is, I think, as a quarterback, what he brings to the table, what he excels at, what he doesn't excel at. Um, you know, we're starting to see all of this kind of flesh out, you know, Hendon Hooker clearly, based on what we saw last year, is going to be the more polished passer. I think Braxton's going to give you more in the running game. Um, you know, what is a tantalizing, tantalizing thought looking forward is how does adding someone who is a more accomplished passer uh, to this offense give more balance and more unpredictability? Because I think you are going to run into a situation where maybe teams stack the box uh, a little bit more than Duke was doing. Um, in order to force some throws. But if you have a guy like Hendon there, that could be trouble. Um, you know, but but Braxton, he's a good quarterback. You can win a lot of games with Braxton Burmeister. And could have been that maybe he was having a bit of an off day as well. Um, but yeah, there were plays left on the field. The throws were not looking sharp. They weren't looking crisp. The timing looked off. Um, and, you know, all of those are problems. But when you have baby Priest Holmes back there um, and Khalil Herbert, you know, you can kind of mask it a little bit. The Hokies defense, you know, Saxburg is back. Defensive ends had seven and a half sacks last season. They're up to eight and a half in 2020. Belmar had four last year. He had three against Duke last week. Loved it. So Hokies registered seven sacks. The three with Belmar. Barno had two. Ashby with one. Pollard had one. And despite playing in just two games, Virginia Tech ranks number two in the nation in total sacks at 13. So at six and a half sacks per game, this is a, a defensive line, Tim, we were concerned about. Yeah, You know, are they going to be able to get after the quarterback? And here we are. Belmar looks much improved. Justice Reed, um, you know, had had a good game. He didn't have the game that he had against NC State. But this the defensive tackles as well. Jared Hewitt looks really good. Oh, yeah. Uh, Narell Pollard uh, has – or um, Narell Pollard's look good. Deshaun Crawford hasn't still really played a whole lot. But, I mean, this, this is still a, a, a defensive line that is way – overperforming based off of preseason expectations. Yeah, and remember last week, one of the things I wanted to see this week was continued havoc in the backfield, and I saw it again. And it's one of those things where we're marrying. There, there is good talent on the defensive line, but this is a lot to do with scheme, varied blitzing, and interaction on the defensive line. That is, it's better. It's better than it has been. Um, and it was great to see, you know, shout out Barno. 
you know, the 6'6", 235, a bit of a twitch guy, moved to defensive end in the offseason. Um, he looks like he could be real good there. Now, in run fits, it's going to be tough for him. Um, you know, I think he's still a little light, but in pass rushing situations, you know, I, I think we've got a real stud there. Um, you know, but seeing guys like Belmar, Ashby, obviously continues to be amazing, especially when it comes to the pass rush. Uh, Norrell Pollard, as you said, looking really, really good as an undersized defensive tackle. Um, I'm excited, but just the fact that we are again generating those kind of big plays, you know, this is what Beamer Ball was built on, man. Like Beamer Ball, all about special teams. We know that, but don't forget the other side of Beamer Ball that tied in with the defense, which was the playmaking ability of the defense. And we see a defense that's going out there and making plays. Yeah, and you mentioned it, kind of the havoc mentality. That's going to be huge against North Carolina, uh, especially if uh, if you're dealing with again maybe not 21 guys out but probably double digit guys still out absolutely um and it's unknown you know how much of the secondary will be back uh if any but you know that remains to be seen but certainly good to see uh you know the production that virginia tech has gotten out of this defensive line the the linebackers have played really well this season and you know it's basically just next man up in that secondary right now so uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit as we preview uh the north carolina game you know Duke, uh, you know, I, you know, they fought in this game. Uh, this, the, the game wasn't as close as the score indicated. You had the Cutcliffe field goal, basically his time expired. Right, which, come uh, on, man. Okay, um, whatever you were trying to do there, but you know, uh, it's it's a team that's really struggling. I mean, if if you are going up against a bunch of true freshmen and walk-ons, and you can't move the ball through the air, uh, that's concerning. You know, I yeah. I would say they they ran the ball a little bit better uh, than I than I thought they would, but I think that was too probably because they were trying to help out the secondary as much as possible. Um, so they were probably playing a little bit further off the ball, but um, I mean, I just an overall great effort from Virginia Tech. Uh, again, offensively, I wasn't like super stoked of anything outside of Khalil Herbert, um, but. Um, you know, I, I think it's I think it's something that we're going to see a lot more about what this offense offense can do through the air this week against North Carolina because, again, the NC State game, there wasn't really a whole lot they needed to do. They got up seventeen nothing right away. They didn't need to pull out every play in the playbook. Duke, a little bit of a different uh, feel to it, um, but we're able to control it on the ground. And depending on this weather situation in Carolina this weekend. Uh, it sounds like it might be grounded pound, uh, which I think would benefit Virginia Tech. But Tim, any anything else you want to hit on with this game before we move on to the ACC Week Four recap? Yeah, I mean nothing in particular. I uh, just wanted to shout out again the offensive line. I think you know amazing work done in the run game, opening holes that I mean I could even hobble through um, at this point, and that, that's impressive to me because of how critical I had been in previous seasons on the offensive line and where I was frustrated in the lack of push that we were generating and the lack of ability to sustain consistent, uh, you know, rushing attack on the ground. Those problems seem to be behind us this year. Um, but just wanted to shout out again, the offensive line for doing great work vice for coaching them up, obviously in such a fantastic way. Um, and again, the running backs are reaping the benefits. All right, so let's jump into some of the other action in week four. So NC State 30, pit 29. Devin Leary looks like the real deal. Oh, yeah. 
He led NC State on two touchdown drives to end the game, totaling 151 yards for two scores. The Leary to uh, Emeka Emezi connection was on fire. Seven catches, 101 yards, two touchdowns. Leary finished with 336 and four touchdowns. Again, this is a pit defense. It's probably, arguably, the best defense in the conference. Right. One of the best in the nations. And they went in there and absolutely lit them up. They only rushed for 62 yards on 30 carries, but it didn't matter. I mean, they were having their way through the air. So this Pitt offense had success through the air, but a week after Virginia Tech ran for 314 yards on this defense, this Penn, this uh, NC State defense, Pitt managed only 92 yards on 37 carries. So, right, Tim, I know you were watching this game closely. What, what stood out to you? I mean, a couple things. Obviously, NC State in their passing offense stood out. I mean, I think as you, you nailed it, you know, on the head, Devin Leary looked incredible, and not just his arm, which honestly was borderline flawless uh, during the game, but just the way he commanded the offense to go those final two touchdown drives when NC State needed him is what you need out of a quarterback to succeed, and he did it. He looked calm doing it. The rapport he has with the receivers seems to be in sync. And if that's the Devin Leary NC State is going to get moving forward, um, you know, they could surprise some people and have a winning season. Uh, you know, it, it's impressive to see who they did it against. Um, you know, Pitt, obviously the strength of that defense, uh, <laughs> you would say is up front. But then you look on the backside and see Ford and everybody in the secondary, Pinnock, and Really, it's just impressive NC State was able to have their way through the air like they did. Now, they struggled on the ground, not necessarily surprising given that it was Pitt, but you also wouldn't expect Pitt's pass defense to fold in the way they did. I think the most impressive thing to me or what stood out to me most on Pitt's side is they are going to need a rushing offense. This is not a good run defense from NC State, and by and large, they bottled them up. In order for Pitt to go out there and win football games the way they want to win football games, they're going to have to be able to sustain drives with the running game. And until that changes, until they get back to their old ways, I don't know what kind of Pitt team we're looking at this year. I mean, this is a team that could have the best defense in the ACC and finish with around a 500 record if they don't get their offensive woes figured out. Because that 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 unbalance on the offensive side is putting way too much pressure on Kenny Pickett to go out there and win football games, and I'm just not sure that's where you want to be if you're a Pitt Panther fan. No, and I mean the offense for Pitt just really doesn't match the defense. I mean, typically no. when you have a defense like this, you're, you're going to have an if you're a Pitt level school, you're going to have an offense that can wear you down on the ground, control the clock, control time of possession. That's how you win football yeah. games. Yeah. But this pit offense is this like kind of broken man's version of, you know, a high powered spread with no running backs. Right. So it 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 hasn't looked great in in the first year under Whipple. It doesn't look great this year. I mean, they're in the game. It's not like they're getting blown out here. It's just, you know, Pitt should probably be winning that game eight times out of ten. But they lost this one. Uh, NC State UVA coming up. We'll talk about that in a bit. I'm excited for that one. Oh yeah, Clemson 41, UVA 23. Clemson got up 24 to three in this one. Uh, UVA's quarterback Brennan Armstrong led a t- TD drive right before half to uh, to cut the lead 24-10 at halftime. You know Armstrong's a guy. He he looks really good at times, and then he just looks really bad at times. Yeah, I mean. He he has some plays where it's just like, what are you doing? <laughs> right. And 
you know, honestly, UVA reminds me of a better overall version of Pitt. Yeah. They're, you know, and not not a dominant offense. They're they're better defensively. Um but, you know, they're an offense that can move the ball on the ground, again, lacking, you know, those running backs, you know, that can really kind of control the tempo. They've got a, a solid running back in Tua Lapapa, but he's really more of a kind of a goal line short yardage guy. Um, I mean, I I think UVA is a team that's going to win some games. There's no doubt. Um, but, you know, they, they were outclassed by Clemson here. That shouldn't be a surprise. You know, they put up 417 total yards the most allowed by Clemson in an ACC game in the last two seasons, you know, outgained them by 10 yards on the ground. So, you know, they did some things in, in this game where you're like, hmm, okay, you know, that those are interesting numbers. Uh, you know, Clemson, this was by far the most powerful opponent, you know, if that's the correct term that they've played all season. So, you know, it could have just been, you know, not not necessarily ready for that kind of level of, of uh, opponent at this point. Um, and a good warm-up for them going into Miami. But, you know, it's it's really the first game that this team has played all four quarters. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know how much of that you can weigh. But either way, there was nothing in here that really surprised me too much. Um, Trevor Lawrence dominated. ETN looked good. And UVA lost. Yeah, I mean, that's... Look, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, you know the Spider-Man meme where one Spider-Man is pointing at the other Spider-Man and they're the exact same Spider-Man? That's what I see when I see Pitt and UVA. The only difference is, um, you know, UVA has a higher ceiling on the offensive side, and that could lead them to be a much better team overall than the Pitt team ends up being. You know, I thought great value Steve Young, like you said, looked great at times. Um, And then other times, he just doesn't look as sharp. But I I will tell you, um, you know, having a guy like Armstrong who can add a little bit in the running game makes a big difference for this UVA offense. Um, and, you know, I, I think it would go a long way for a team like Pitt, too, to have that threat. But, you know, we're talking about a team that put up 417 total yards against Clemson. If you can do it against Clemson, you can do it against anybody in the ACC. Now, you pair an offense that can move the ball with a defense that is stifling, um, and they could have a pretty darn good year. And, and I think when you look at this, you know, especially as a Hokie fan looking at this, um, you, you'd certainly love to see UVA kind of struggling and wallowing, um, but they're not. They're they're looking pretty good even in this loss. So you know, I hate moral victories. I hate talking about them. I hate taking them. But I, I think if you're a Wahoo, you're looking at this and you're saying, "Hey, man, this ain't so bad." I, I think a moral victory is kind of uh, what you feel like you're left walking away with after looking at this game. UNC twenty six, Boston College twenty two. First game for UNC in three weeks. Uh, UNC just kind of looks sloppy, you know, passing game hasn't been super crisp offensively, you know, their running game has really led the way Mike, Michael Carter might be their best player, uh, right now. Um, you know, he added 121 yards on the ground, 16 carries, you know, Sam Howell makes some nice plays in this game, but it was 21, 16 at half. I mean, Boston college basically shut them out. They held them to three points until, you know, the failed two point conversion that went the other way for two. Um, but yeah, I mean, four offensive drives for North Carolina in the second half, two punts, a field goal and a missed field goal. Boston college scores the lone touchdown to get within two with 45 seconds left. And then the two point conversion fiasco. So, you know, more late game heroics for Boston college, you know, BC once again, just completely abandoning the run 19 carries, 40 yards, David Bailey, only seven carries in the game. 
it's it's really hard to believe that's the case, especially with the offensive line that Boston College have, has and just traditionally how Boston College plays. I know it's a new coaching staff and everything, but, you know, Jerkovic had 56 pass attempts in this game, you know? Yeah. That's typically not going to win you a whole lot of games unless you're playing in the Big 12, uh, which Boston College is not. So, you know, he wasn't bad through the year. It just feels like BC has abandoned one of their most valuable assets, which is David Bailey. They have. I mean, I mean, they have. Um, seven rushes tells the tale. And, you know, this feels like you're in some kind of bizarro world looking at a Boston College stat line, uh, seeing a quarterback throw 56 times. Um, that's absolutely stunning to me. Almost got the job done, you know, and, and hard to be critical when you see these results against, you know, what is a good uh, North Carolina team. But I think if the Eagles are going to have success, they're going to have to be more balanced than that. Um, and, and it's just having Jerkovic throw that many times in a game can't be a recipe for success for a team that's not running the air raid. Um, so certainly looking at the stat line, it's a little confusing. You know, on the other side, what confused me the most from North Carolina is that Sam Howell only had 14 completions. That's a team that does want to lean heavily into the pass. And, and you're walking away with Sam Howell completing 14 passes. Guys like Daz Newsom racking up one catch for six yards. As dynamic of a guy as Daz Newsom is, um, UNC not making a whole lot of sense now either. Certainly not hitting on all cylinders. Uh, and, and at this point, I think we've seen enough kind of uh, not gelling kind of hinkiness on the UNC side to maybe start raising some alarm bells there and say, you know, what's going on? Is this kind of a sophomore slump for Sam Howell? Um, you know, it, it's it's not quite the offense we were expecting from either team uh, looking back at this game. No, and, you know, Boston College, it looks like they're a team that is going to compete. They're going to win some games. Yeah. You know, it's definitely a team that can come up and, and punch you right in the face and you just didn't see it coming. So Virginia Tech has Boston College next week, uh, and, and that's going to be an interesting matchup. I think from North Carolina's standpoint, you know, it's tough to play a game, you know, with a three-week layoff. So, you know, of I course. think that's certainly part of it. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about North Carolina in a bit, but, you know, there's some interesting things there that I think Mac Brown said this week. Uh, last game of the week, Florida State. Oh, man. Florida State 41. Jacksonville State, 24. Yikes. Um, Yeah, the true true freshman quarterback got the start, and uh, he he struggled. You know, no points for FSU in the first four drives. They they were down 14 to nothing against a school named Jacksonville State. Uh, They then turned to Jordan Travis, you know, if you remember – Louisville transfer, uh, young guy. Kind of been a question as to why we haven't seen more of him. Uh, he led Florida Florida State to five straight touchdown drives. He was named the starter for this week against Notre Dame. Good luck. And, you know, FSU's on the board. You know, they got their first win. Wasn't pretty, uh, but, you know, they'll, they'll take it. Um, they're still a train wreck. Um, I still am disgusted every time I see them on television and or have to look at their, you know, their, their game or their highlights or their recap. Right. Um, but yeah. And then, you know, Wake Forest took care of business 66, 14 over Campbell. Sure. That they did. So Tim, 
anything uh, anything else you want to say about week four before we head into the Virginia Tech-North Carolina preview? No, just wanted to point out Jordan Travis is the brother of Devon Travis, infielder for the Toronto Blue Jays, so pretty cool baseball connection there. And if you're a Florida State fan, you are willing to cling on any glimmer of hope like it's a piece of driftwood after a boat uh, sinks, and that is your piece of driftwood. I think Jordan Travis, there may be something there, Justin. Maybe something there. And hey, Blue Jays made the playoffs. There you go. Yeah. Florida State's not going to be making a playoff this year. No, not this year. All right. So we've got number 19 Virginia Tech against the extremely overrated, eighth ranked North Carolina Tar Heels. VT comes in with a four game winning streak. And of course, last year's six overtime thriller. The Quincy Patterson show. UNC has only allowed 108 yards rushing on the ground total over two games. And that sounds great. But their opponents have been Syracuse and Boston College, who happen to rank number 14 and number 15 in rushing offense in the conference. That's second to last and last. Traditionally, you think Boston College, ground to pound, we just talked about it. They're not running the football this year. Only had 19 attempts against North Carolina. Syracuse had more, 35 attempts for 68 yards. Of course, it's one of the worst offensive lines in all of FBS. So the 108 yards given up on the ground is deceiving. VT will be by far the biggest challenge this team probably faces all season on the ground. And, you know, all that being all that being said, UNC's defense should not be taken lightly. No. Their front seven is particularly strong, and that's that's led by Chas Surratt, the quarterback turned linebacker, probably one of the best linebackers in the country, if we're being honest with ourselves. Uh, they're particularly good off the edge. Um, it, it's why they've had that early season success against the run. Uh, you know, we, we mentioned the, the competition in which they played. Um, you know, Mac Brown, to his credit, acknowledged that. In his press conference on Monday, he said the numbers are skewed because of the competition. You know, it's it's one thing. One thing you can say about Duke is the best part of their team is their defensive front seven. Sure. VT managed to break the 300-yard mark on the ground against them last week. So doing it against NC State's one thing. But then you do it again in back-to-back weeks against a team that has a pretty good front seven. So Duke is stronger at defensive end, in my opinion, than UNC. But UNC has better overall players in that front seven, especially a linebacker. Yeah. So you've got Chaz Surratt, who we mentioned. You've got the, the Fox brothers. You've got Taman Fox and Surratt, who have combined for five sacks at the linebacker position this year. Surratt has 13 pressures, three sacks, six hits on the quarterback, and four, four hurries. So that, that's a guy who's going to be trying to get into the backfield after whoever is playing quarterback for the Hokies. Uh, Tamari Fox has two sacks on the defensive line, seven tackles. So it's definitely going to be a challenge for the offensive line this week. Um, you know, I think from a rushing standpoint for Virginia Tech, Khalil Herbert has that incredible vision, that patience, that burst. So I think he certainly will be able to make some plays against this defense. But I think if you're a North Carolina, Tim, you're Jay Bateman, you're going into this game and you're trying to figure out what does Virginia Tech do best? Well, right now we think it's the run because we haven't seen a whole lot of them from, you know, a whole lot out of them from the passing standpoint. How do we take that away and force Virginia Tech 
to beat us through the air. Yeah. I mean, that, that's exactly what you're going to do. And for me, because of the type of Virginia Tech fan I am, you know, I always approach the games and look for what's going to make it difficult or what do we need to look out for going into this game. I think what we are going to see uh, is that UNC's defensive line, fairly stout against the rush, um, may be able to neutralize our running game a bit. But the bigger issue for me is that UNC does run the ball fairly effectively. Um, I'm not as worried as I thought I would be about Sam Howell if you'd asked me in the preseason. What I am still a little bit worried about is our defensive line and their ability to completely slow down a run game. Um, if you remember, NC State had their way uh, with the defensive line to a certain degree um, on the ground. And, and I think this is going to be another test for the defensive line, specifically the interior of the defensive line, uh, to make a play in the run game. And I, I think limiting both of those things is going to be important. Um, but yeah, it, it's one of those things where we're sitting back here looking at this. It certainly smacks right off the bat of UNC certainly being a little overrated, as you mentioned in the beginning. Um, but certainly to me on paper, I think this is a team that matches up well with Virginia Tech and a game that I am super excited to see play out. As you mentioned, I think Chaz Surratt is the guy um, that you need to circle and highlight in this game. Um, make no mistake, Virginia Tech is going to come out and try to run the football, and it's going to be up to those linebackers on UNC side to slow them down, slow us down, uh, and see what they can do to take away what has been the strongest part of our offense to this point in the season. Yeah, the other thing I'm looking at from a North Carolina standpoint is you you mentioned it, the rushing attack. So I think for whatever reason, their their running backs are just overlooked a little bit. You know, if you look at Michael Carter, thousand yard rusher last season, Javante Williams was like thirty yards away from a thousand yard season. You know, Williams has five total touchdowns this season, including every single rushing touchdown, which is four. Uh, you know, Michael Carter's averaging 99.5 yards per game and 8.65 yards per carry through two games. So these are two guys that can certainly beat you, and they're more than capable of catching the ball out of the backfield. So UNC has two really good weapons right there in both the rushing and the passing game. Something that Mac Brown said this week as well is that, you know, in the first two games of the season, teams have done a really good job of taking away what they like to do over top in the secondary. And they haven't been taking advantage of using the middle of the field uh, through their passing game. So, you know, you mentioned Sam Howell. Maybe that's not a huge concern. It's a big concern for me because we don't know who is playing in the Virginia Tech secondary. Absolutely. And I think even when you look at it from a fully healthy standpoint, you know, it's going to be a tough matchup. And then you go in there with a bunch of freshmen, you know, maybe a walk-on, you know, maybe you get a, a guy or two back here and there. You're still going to be pretty thin, you know, overall. You know, Armani Chapman, it sounds like he's probably going to play. He's still your number two corner. He was your number three going into the season. Right. You know, back in June. And then Farley's left. Jermaine Waller hasn't played. So if Jermaine Waller can play this week, that'll be a big boost. Again, we don't really know what we'll get out of him. Um, you know, I think... Uh, Dorian Port Strong is how I'll call him. <laughs> uh, you know, he's definitely a guy who played good at times last week. I'd be very concerned with him playing a lot against a team like North Carolina. Yeah. So can they get 
Jermaine Waller back? Can they get Breon Murray back? Is Devin Taylor going to play? Is Divine Diablo going to be back there? Those are going to be critical, I think, to trying to slow down this North Carolina passing game because, yes, it has not been the passing attack that we've you know become used to. I mean, Daz Newsom has three catches this season. You know, it's it's insane. It's crazy. But he's he's still an extremely dangerous player to be on the football team. And, you know, the the thing on North Carolina is they got a lot of receivers. They've got a lot of talent. They've got a lot of depth. Uh, they don't really have much in the way of a tight end right now. Their tight end, Garrett Walston, only has two catches on the season. Um, Diami Brown is the leading receiver who's got 10 catches for 154. The running backs have 11 catches. Um, so... You know, how's a guy? He's completing about 65% of his passes. He's got three touchdowns, three picks. You know, the one thing that Virginia Tech can do, assuming that they go into this game with a fully healthy group at this position, is pressure Sam Howell. Howell is a guy who tends to hold on to the football. And right now, North Carolina feels like a boom or bust offense. They're either going to hit the big play. Not not dissimilar to the Arizona Cardinals in the NFL. They're either going to hit the home run or they're going to strike out. Adam Dunn, Chicago White Sox, or whatever <laughs> team you want to choose that he played for. Cincinnati Reds. You know, Cincinnati Reds. <laughs> Cleveland. Do you believe me? I don't know. I don't know. Anyways. <laughs> Washington Nationals. It feels boom or bust right now. But I think those plays over the top are going to be there this weekend. The other factor that nobody can control is weather. You know, what what does that look like? It's, it's said that it's going to be pretty uh, rainy uh, in North Carolina this weekend, so, you know, that could certainly play into it. But, you know, I do feel comfortable that Virginia Tech has given a lot of guys looks back there in the secondary. What I'm hopeful for is a lot of the absences in the secondary last week were contact tracing related and that they'll be able to play and suit up. And if we get half the guys back, I'll feel better about going into it. But if we have to go in there with the guys that played last week, I will be very concerned about what Sam Howell and these receivers can do against the defense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that would be a horrible proposition. Um, you know, give them all the credit that is due, what they did against Duke, what was accomplished against Duke was no small feat. Um, but compare UNC to Duke. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm totally worried about that. And, and luckily, I think I'm hearing some good things on the availability of some guys in the secondary that I think can make a difference. Um, and it's always a problem going up against a balanced offense like UNC, like you, like you mentioned about the 1,000-yard rushing. Um, you know, Not only do they have one good running back, they have two extremely effective tailbacks and a quarterback who can absolutely, when he's on, take a game over by the scruff of the neck. And, and get a win almost by his lonesome. Um, you know, and Sam Howell is the guy that you cannot let get comfortable. And I thought you brought up a great point. We have got to bring the havoc that we have brought the first two games into this game. And it is of the utmost importance that you do everything you can to make Howell uncomfortable. So that means bringing different blitz packages, different looks, get some safeties involved on some blitzing, do some things that is that we haven't done to this point on the defensive line to try and keep him off balance. If we were able to do that, I feel confident in the result. Um, you know, But a lot of this is up to, okay, who's going to play, who isn't going to play. A lot of rumors going around that UNC is going to be down quite a bit in the secondary. Um, and, and, you know, This is going to be one of those mm-hmm. omnipresent things in this world of COVID college football 
Uh, we don't know really who's going to suit up for either team going into these things. There's a myriad of possibilities and prognostications you could make, but it is very true. Um, it, it, if we are able to get some people back for that secondary, I'd feel much better. If we were rolling in with last week's secondary, I'd be extremely concerned. And, um, you know, I don't want you to think my highlighting the UNC's running a game was a slight towards Sam. Um, it's not. I just think when people look at UNC, they see Sam Howell and they think a passing offense, when in reality, um, it's hard to say which tail, which which tail's wagging what dog and, and what's going on there because over the course of last year and this year, they've had great success on the ground too. Um, so anytime you're, you're presented with a balanced offense this degree, uh, it, it's going to be a challenge. And, and obviously it starts with Sam Howell, but you look at those running backs and man, they're, they're knocking the lights out too. Yeah, you know, it's interesting with uh, North Carolina's offensive line. They've got seven sophomores and freshmen in that group. Wow. And their left tackle, Asim Richards, has allowed the second most sacks and 13th most pressures of any tackle in the country so far this season. It's impressive. So that's who Emmanuel Belmar is going up against, which should play into the favor of Virginia Tech. And, you know, what has been a uh, weakness of Virginia Tech over the last two seasons, which is, you know, youth and experience, you know, that's flipped. So now we've got, you know, Grandpa Reed on one side. We've got (laughs) Emmanuel Belmar on the other side. And then we've got a pretty strong uh, center core of that defensive line. So I do like the defensive line matchup for Virginia Tech going into this week. Um, again, what I'm most concerned about is the big play, uh, because I, I think there will be points scored in this game. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's going to be a low scoring football game. Um, so can, can Virginia Tech do enough on defense to slow it down and enough on offense to, you know, maintain, um, maintain points on the board and, you know, for, through the first two games, I would say, yes, they can. Um, because this North Carolina defense is good. It's not a pit. It's not a UVA. You know, it's not Miami's defense. It's not Clemson. Yeah, it's fair. Um, there's certainly plays there to be made. I just think they have a very strong center of that defense, especially at the linebacker position. So they can't let a guy like Chase Surratt or Chas Surratt beat them. Um, what I'll say from the quarterback position for Virginia Tech, you know, Fuente had an interesting quote this week in his press conference where he said he felt like Burmeister had earned the nod over Hendon Hooker last week. So I don't know what that meant if he felt like the two, you know, got equal reps in practice and, you know, he felt like Burmeister outplayed him that week. I don't know if that's what he means. You know, it's going to be two quarterbacks playing this season, so it's just going to be a week-by-week basis, and the quarterback competition is going to just extend uh, basically just throughout the entire year. Um, But I would think Hinton Hooker is going to start this week against North Carolina. You know, and we talked about BB struggles earlier, a little bit earlier on in the show here, uh, primarily with throwing the ball deep. I do think, you know, it sounds like COVID or no COVID – North Carolina's secondary is pretty banged up right now. So, you know, Storm Duck is a question going into this game, and he's probably one of the best cover corners in the ACC. Um, you know, Patrice Renee is still kind of rehabbing from the ACL injury. they got a bunch of other guys who are coming off injuries. So that's certainly a unit that, you know, Virginia Tech can take advantage of. I certainly think they have the talent on the outside to do it. 
Um, guys like James Mitchell, I, I think we might see Raheem Blackshear involved more in the passing game this week. We, we basically haven't seen him involved in the passing game at all. And we've been told that he's going to be involved in the passing game. So that might be kind of the X factor to look out for on offense there. Um, but I want to see what this offense looks like with Hinton Hooker, quarterback. You know, that's that's the one thing that I'm really, really have been waiting for this season. Um, now that we've finally been able to play some football games, we've seen it with QP and Braxton. We've seen it with just Braxton. Let's see what we can do with, with Hendon, you know? So I thought it was interesting that QP didn't play at all last week. Um, you know, does he reemerge in some facet in this, this week's game? I kind of doubt it um, based off of how he was used last week, which was none. So I don't, I don't know what your thought is there, Tim, but I really feel like it's Hendon's week to take the reins. Um, and we'll see if, if Braxton is used at all or, if you know, we'll just have to, I guess, kind of wait and see if it's literally going to be a week-by-week quarterback competition. I think it is Hendon's, uh, you know, nod at this point. Um, you know, I mentioned how balanced UNCU was, and I meant that as a credit to them. I think balance is huge in the college game, you know, unless you're a team like Texas Tech and you want to pass 80 times a game. But um, this is an offense to me, the Hokies offense. We've excelled uh, for two weeks running the football. I think we're seeing our first opponent right now where we would see a benefit where, you know, for a more balanced approach. I think we're, we're dealing with a slightly more talented defense here that will need to keep, you know, kind of on their toes in a way to open up the run game even more uh, when guys want to load the box is obviously to pass over them. I think Kenyon gives you that option, unlike Braxton, uh, or at least to a, a much further degree than Braxton does. I do think it's interesting. Uh, Pro Football Focus graded out our wide receiving core as one of the top five uh, in college football based on the games that they have played. I think that if you look into that, read into the tea leaves, that tells you that there's untapped potential there for maybe some big plays from those wide receivers. I think how you tap that potential is you, is you go ahead and give the nod to Hendon. So I, I fully expect him uh, to be throwing the passes on Saturday. Yeah, so that's something I'm, uh, I'm excited to see. Um, what's, what's your prediction for this game, Tim? You know, this is feeling like a 35-28 type scenario to me. Um, assuming no field goals were scored. So, you know, throw in a field goal either side, uh, give or take. But, yeah, I mean, 35-28 feels right to the Hokies for me. I do think it's going to be a bit of a shootout just because of the nature of both offenses. Yeah, I think there's going to be some points scored. We'll see what the weather does, if that has any effect. But I think both of these offenses, you know, I don't think we're going to see a Mitch Trubisky-like performance in the rain. Sorry to bring that up, Mitch. You're having a tough week, I know. It's a bad one. But, you know, it's uh, – I, I do think some points are going to be scored here. I'm going to go with, like, kind of a weird score, like uh, 45-43 Virginia Tech. Close game. Brian Johnson kicks a field goal to win as time expires. Uh, that's kind of how I feel this uh, game coming down to. And just for the record, I think Virginia Tech definitely has uh, has the nod in the kicking game here. Um, but, you know, it was interesting. David Hale had a tweet that went out earlier today or this week or whenever. The number eight UNC playing number 19 Virginia Tech this week, it's the first game between two ranked ACC opponents that doesn't involve Clemson, Florida State, or Louisville since the Miami-Virginia Tech game in 2017. And it's just the third one since 2012. It's also the first time since November 4th of 2017 that there will be two games between ranked ACC teams on the same day. Wow. So thought that was interesting. That is a, that is a, a big uh, time nugget. 
me see. Another stat that I found very interesting from uh, from Ox underscore VT, who has always got you know some pretty unique infographics out there. NC State held Wake and Pitt to 2.8 yards per carry. Duke held Notre Dame, Virginia, and Boston College to 3.2 yards per carry. So that shows you how dominant the Virginia Tech run game has been. Uh, so that 108-yard total for UNC this week, thats uh, I'm going to go ahead and take the over. Virginia Tech will rush for over that in this football game. How much you know, remains to be seen. You know, I'm not necessarily thinking Virginia Tech goes for 300 yards again. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But um, really excited to see what what Virginia Tech can do against probably the highest caliber defense they have faced yet, um, and it'll certainly be a good test overall for this team. You know, depth or no depth. Um, you know, I'm I'm pretty excited to see what the secondary can do. So it's a nerve wracking game going into this. You know, I'm I'm kind of happy we don't have to wait till. Eight o'clock. Uh, we can just get this game out of the way because it would it would really cause my day to drag on if we had to sit there all day and wait for it. No doubt. Yeah, it's always hard to wait for those eight o'clock games. And you know, I'm with you. I'm I, I'm anxious, but I'm excited. I think for the ACC, uh, this is a huge step towards you know relevance of some sort. I think that stat that David Hell threw out um, in regards to this being a ranked matchup. Um, that doesn't involve Clemson, FSU, or Louisville. That may not seem like a big deal on the surface, but it is. Uh, it, it's nice to see that the ACC is kind of trending back toward its old self in that regard. Uh, and, you know, excited, a ranked versus ranked matchup is always fun when you have a chance to knock someone out of the top 10. The stakes are high. Uh, you know, Saturday can't get here soon enough. So... Let's let's look ahead to some of the other matchups in Week Five, Tim. There's there's some there's some good ones. I mean, none shine brighter than Duke Syracuse. No, obviously, obviously. But yeah, so we've got Duke Syracuse. We've got Louisville at Georgia Tech on Friday night. Uh, I think Pitt at BC is an interesting game. You know, Pitt is a five and a half point favorite. Uh, both of these teams have good defenses. Pitt is obviously better um, on that side of the ball, but. They're only giving up 174 yards per game through the air, and they're allowing 57 yards per game on the ground. Boston College doesn't run the football. You know, they're now this air raid kind of attack. Um, you know, the mystery of the season just continues to be David Bailey. 33 carries, 112 yards through three games. Just absolutely mind-blowing. Um, I think this game's going to come down to the wire, so that's that's one that I'm looking at. Um, NC State at Virginia, Tim. You know, UVA's a nine-point favorite. Uh, it's a great matchup, I think. You know, NC State had a nice rebound win last week against arguably the bestie in the conference in Pitt. Um, should be a really good matchup for UVA on offense. You know, what can Devin Leary do in back-to-back weeks now that, you know, there's a week, there's some game film for a team to prepare against him in this year's offense. Um, you know, NC State has looked pretty vulnerable on the defensive side of the ball, uh, you know, specifically in the run game. Um, UVA doesn't really have a run game, so certainly going to be fun to watch that quarterback matchup between Armstrong and Leary. Uh, UVA only held uh, Clemson 157 on the ground, so can they slow down that NC State rushing attack? I don't know what your thoughts are on that one, Tim. I mean, I think this is a good matchup for NC State. I'm not sure that means that I'm picking NC State to win. I, I don't think I would, 
But you hit the nail on the head in that UVA's offense isn't going to stress that vulnerable NC State defense in the same manner that Pitt didn't stress that vulnerable NC State defense too bad. I think those are the kind of games where NC State's really going to have a good puncher's chance at coming out with big wins. Um, you know, and that's not a knock on, you know, Armstrong or anybody on UVA. That's just what I see at this point in the season. The flip side to that is I think this is going to be a tough game for Devin Leary. I think specifically where the pass rush is concerned. NC State's uh, pass blocking has not looked very good, especially if you recall back to that Virginia Tech game. Uh, you know, we went through them like a hot knife through butter. And I think if you're an NC State fan looking at this game, that's where you're really con- concerned is how does that 3-4, especially since it's a front that NC State isn't used to dealing with, um, how well do they pressure the passer considering that's really what their linebackers do extremely well, especially on the edge, is getting to the passer. Devin Leary uh, stayed pretty clean against Pitt, and I think that was a big reason why he had the success he had. If NC State's offensive line can give them the time or give him the time that he needs, I think he can play pretty well against the UVA secondary. The question is going to be whether or not the linebacking core gets to him. So I think this is going to be a tight game. I'm still leaning Virginia on this one, but NC State can make another splash if they can come out here and get a big win. Um, things look a lot different when you're sitting at 3-1 and one, uh, if you're NC State. So we'll see how it goes. Um, and see how well UVA can bounce back from that loss against Clemson. Number seven, Miami at number one, Clemson. Clemson is a 14-point favorite. This is your primetime ABC game. Certainly the best team that either school has faced all season. You know, Miami coming off the bye last week. De'Eric King looks like the leader that this team has needed for years at the quarterback yes. position. Yes. You know, Cameron Harris really i in my opinion kind of an overlooked asset of of this football team um miami's averaging 232 yards on the ground and harris is a big reason why clemson only given up 90 yards on the ground to him but hasn't really faced a power run attack so again i think that number's a little bit skewed i certainly expect clemson to win this game but very interested to see what this miami offense can do against the defense of this caliber and to see how maybe good this Miami defense is going up against an offense like like Clemson. So I kind of expect a, a game similar to uh, Virginia and Clemson last week where I'm certainly not expecting Miami to get blown out. I think Miami will play Clemson a little bit tighter, at least in the beginning. Um, you know, one thing I will say, this is a 14-point spread. You know, Miami... It's 3-0 against the spread this season. Clemson's 0-3. So take that for what it is. Um, but I think uh, I think Miami will keep this game closed for a while, but I think Clemson pulls away at the end. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Clemson will win this game. I, I think it will be close, though. I think Miami is a hard team to prepare for because of the nature of their offense with De'Eric King and his elite ability uh, to extend plays in the pocket. You know, that's always when defenses have a hard time staying together. I think Clemson's defense is going to come up maybe one of the toughest uh, tests they'll have this season. Trying to slow down Harrison King is no easy task. I think Brent Venables is obviously who you want calling plays. If you're coming up on a team or against a team like Miami, I don't think they get any better. But I do think they're going to do enough just to cause trouble. But it's really hard to say that they have enough to overcome Lawrence and Etienne and that offense for Clemson, even if this does turn into a little bit of a shootout, I expect the Tigers to walk away with, 
not a comfortable victory. I don't think anyone that beats Miami this year will have a comfortable victory, but I do think Clemson is going to walk away here maybe with a 10-point win. Uh, But like you said, it would not surprise me to see Miami in this game well into the third, if not the fourth quarter. Last game of the week, Florida State at number five, Notre Dame. This game is 7.30 on NBC. Notre Dame, a 20-and-a-half-point favorite. Again, FSU going with Jordan Travis, a quarterback. Don't think that's really going to matter. The one thing to look out for for Notre Dame, they haven't played in three weeks because of a COVID-19 outbreak. So 39 players were either uh, sick or quarantined for contact tracing. So don't think that will matter, but Notre Dame could come out a little slow. Uh, But then again, they're playing Florida State, so it shouldn't be too much to worry about here. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's not a bad uh, way to look at it. I, I do think, and maybe this is a little bit of foreshadowing, I do think this may be a tighter game than, than the experts realize. Um, that layoff, lack of, of practice time, lack of conditioning, um, it's a real deal when you talk about a Notre Dame team that wasn't super explosive before. Um, and I just, you know, damn it, FSU has athletes. They have talent. At some point, that's going to show up. Not obviously to win them the game. But to maybe keep it a little bit closer. And I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued to see what Jordan Travis is able to do after what he did against Jacksonville State. All right, well, let's move on to uh, to doing lines, Tim. So to recap last week, I went 1-3, and three, so another great week for me. <laughs> Lost to Virginia Tech, North Carolina, and Auburn game. Uh, won the NC State game. You did as well. You went 2-2. Two and two. You lost Texas Tech and Virginia Tech. You won UVA and NC State. So... Uh, overall standings, I'm at five and 10. You're at six, eight, and one. What is your first pick of week five? All right. First pick of week five. Now we're going with the Jeff Fisher mantra and we're just fighting to get to 500. That's this week's goal. The first pick for me is going to be Louisville minus four and a half versus Georgia tech. I think Georgia tech is a team right now that is in a death spiral. Um, you know, I, I think they turn over, turn the ball over too much for their own good. I think defensively they're going to have trouble slowing down what is a very good Louisville offense. I think those turnovers are going to keep Louisville in the game and win Louisville the game, especially when you consider they are a defense that typically struggles. Uh, But Georgia Tech, a good matchup for them as turnovers are the great equalizer. Give me Louisville minus 4.5 versus Georgia Tech. Yeah, I've got the same. I I looked at this and immediately looked up the injury report for Louisville, and they're they're a full go on offense. So. Malik Cunningham is going to play. You know, if you remember, they had a bye last week, but the week before he was carted off the field with a head injury, but looks like he's good. Georgia Tech's defense is giving up 441 yards, 221 on the ground. Mm. So don't like that, especially against this high-powered Louisville team. I think they get back to the win column here, snatched their first ACC win of the season. This, to me, is my lock of the week. Louisville, four and a half, that's a little too good to be true. Uh, I'll take that all the way to the bank. What's your second pick? So I'm going Syracuse plus two and a half versus Duke. I just feel like Syracuse has figured something out. Dino Babers is not a terrible coach. Duke, on the other hand, continue to lose football games. So in a battle of two teams that I don't think are very good at all, I'm taking the less not good team. Lock it in. Syracuse two and a half versus Duke. So I'm going to stray away from what I had in the notes because I I really want to pick this one. I'm going to take Boston College plus five and a half uh, against Pitt. Uh, This game is in Chestnut Hill. Um, You know, 
I, I think this game is going to be super close, and I think BC has a really good shot at winning it. So uh, I'm going to go BC plus five and a half. They can take advantage of the pit defense in the secondary. After what I saw NC State do last week and the team that wasn't able to run the ball, BC doesn't run the ball. I think that bodes well. And I think BC's defense is pretty good. So, again, it's going to be it's going to come down to can Pitt's offense do enough to win? I don't think they can. I think this game is very close. Uh, BC plus five and a half. Yeah. I don't think that's a bad pick. I don't think it's a bad pick. I think I give this, away, this one away with foreshadowing. FSU plus 21 versus Notre Dame. I see this as maybe a 20 to 14 point victory for Notre Dame. However, COVID comes for all. No one is spared. Notre Dame found that out the hard way. I think the lack of conditioning, the lack of practice time, the lack of continuity that they will have had going into this game after what was a good start to the season uh, is going to throw enough of a monkey wrench into the operation to get Devon Travis's brother and the Seminoles rolling enough to cover the spread. So give me FSU plus 21 versus Notre Dame. I'm taking the Hokies plus five and a half. If I'm going to pick them to win, I'm going to pick them to beat the spread at, at five and a half. So uh, UNC is a good team. I just don't think they're performing at a level high enough uh, on offense this year. And based off of from what I've seen from Virginia Tech in the first two weeks and what I've seen from North Carolina, I think uh, I think Virginia Tech's the better team. I think their experience is going to win out here. Even if they're even if they're down guys, I think they're going to do enough to win this game. I think it's going to be a close one. It should be fun to watch. Um, you know, I, I'm definitely concerned about depth and, you know, who will or will not be on the field, but I feel confident enough in taking the Hokies at plus five and a half. So Tim, that gets us to our random pick of the week. Who do you got? How are we going to have the Red River rivalry and expect me not to look at that and place my final pick? Give me Texas plus two and a half versus OU. Rattler has looked rattled in the beginning of the season. I think Lincoln Riley is struggling with a little bit, you know, not having a quarterback who's already a finished product by the time he steps foot on campus. He's dealing with a quarterback he's got to develop at this point, and we'll see how that goes. Tom Herman may be on the hot seat, um, but the run game has been working pretty good for them to this point. I think the Red River will run red with Sooner Blood. Give me Texas 2.5 against Oklahoma. Man, can you imagine if Oklahoma dropped a third game in a row. I need the chaos, Justin. I need it. I want yeah, the it. Big 12. And we were talking about this offline. They look like a disaster, just a dumpster fire this year. And the SEC Terrible. hasn't looked particularly great either. So, yeah. Um, it's definitely been interesting. I'm going to take one off the radar here. I'm going Coastal Carolina plus 7 against Louisiana. I, I like uh, it. I think Coastal Carolina has been playing some pretty good football this year. And um the Raging Cajuns, they've been up and down. Um, they've been winning, but really close games. I think a touchdown is a little bit too much uh, to uh, for, for Louisiana to cover here. So I'm going to go ahead and take Coastal Carolina in the off-the-radar game of the week to cover in possibly uh, hurricane conditions down there in Louisiana. Yeah, I, I think that's a good pick. I won uh, some money last weekend on Coastal Carolina and their performance against Arkansas State. I think they keep turning heads and besting spreads. Right. Wow, look at you. <laughs> I like it. Anyway, Coastal Carolina, good pick. They also have a uh, teal football field, which is abhorrent to look at. So there's that. Yeah, luckily this game is not in Carolina this week. But Tim, any uh, any final thoughts before we close out this week's show? 
It's a great weekend. That's my thought. That is my thought. I am super excited for this Virginia Tech game. Super excited for this Miami-Clemson game. Um, you know, we're getting into the thick of, of what is a super meaty ACC schedule this year. And, you know, shout out again that David Hill stat. We got a, a ranked matchup in the ACC. Not just a ranked matchup, top 20 matchup dealing with teams uh, not named Louisville, Clemson, or Florida State in the ACC. It feels great. Um, and, you know, just sit back and enjoy it. And and I know that's definitely what I'm going to be doing. It's supposed to rain here this weekend. Um, therefore, it's probably supposed to rain for a lot of you guys listening, considering that you're regional to the podcast. Sit back, open up a fall beer, maybe some hot apple cider. I don't know. Sit back, crack open your favorite beverage, and watch some football. Yeah, it's going to be a, a wet weekend here, too. We've got some hurricane remnants coming up. So I uh, I plan on posting up on the couch, watching some football. You know, I think from Virginia Tech's standpoint, going into this game against North Carolina, it's more than just a game against North Carolina. You got the four-game winning streak. You've got some uh, recruiting talking points. You know, it, it's it's a big game. It's a big game, and, and Fuente and staff have pretty much dominated the state of North Carolina since he's arrived. Um, and the the Tar Heels are are no different. So I want to see that win streak extended to five games. You know, give Fuente the last laugh and give him. Uh, maybe an edge heading into recruiting for 2021. But, Tim, that's our show for today. We are Chowder and Grits, the podcast for Virginia Tech and ACC Sports. We appreciate you listening. Tim, why don't you tell these fine people what they can do for us? Leave us a five-star review. Leave us some comments. Share our podcast. Do what you guys already do and interact with us on Twitter. We enjoy it. Saturdays are best spent uh, on the Chowder and Grits Twitter tweeting out nonsense for 12 hours of the day and i wouldn't have it any other way but you know keep chatting with us keep interacting with us leave us those reviews uh you know leave us a comment on the review if you're feeling uh, extra kind and uh just keep tuning in man we appreciate it guys yep. hit that five stars and we will see you guys next week go hokies